0: There's some pretty great people in that video who are no longer with us. They served their lives, uh, serving the Lord, and uh, they are now with Him. And uh, others probably soon to follow, maybe yours truly as well, who knows. But there's a world out there that's crying to hear the truth. And there's just not enough people. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are just so very few. And of course, we've been disrupted for the last two, almost three years now because of this, uh, I have to mind my tongue, (laughs) satanic deception. I'm so proud of your church that you didn't shut down. You know, when they ordered... When they ordered the shutting down of the churches, it made me wish I had a church. (laughs) Because if pastors were going to stand for the truth and go to jail for having a church, I wanted to be right there. But that didn't fall to me, but it fell to Jared and many other young men. Mark Goad down in Arkansas and pastors that I know in Montana and many other places that said, no, we don't. We don't allow the government to intrude into God's business. And we're just going to continue to be faithful. And God demonstrated His faithfulness to them as well. You know, when you travel around the world, you have divine appointments. And I don't know if you remember, and all of those were divine appointments, but there was one picture of a very Asiatic-looking man in his red robe, and he had this smile on his face, and you could just see a thousand wrinkles on his face and I met him in Nagaland which is actually a part of India but they don't claim India way up in the high mountains next to Burma and China and uh, we had been driving through town and I saw this guy sitting on the side of the street and he just it just grabbed my attention because I thought he's not from here that man came from a long long ways away from here And uh, I told Nan about it, and I said, man, I'd love to meet that guy. I just would love to know his story. Well, we went out for a walk through the town. This is in Tunsang, Nagaland. Went out for a walk through the town, and I said, we're heading back to the place we were staying, and I said, "Let's, let's just cut through this side street here and do a little exploring on our way back, and lo and behold, who should be there? This guy was on the side of the street. Of course, I couldn't talk to him. I was wishing that our translator was with me so that I could talk to him. But I looked at him as we were walking on the street and he looked at me and it was like we just locked eyes and both of us began to grin. And Nan took that picture while we were shaking hands and it was like we were looking at each other and we were saying, I know you. I know that you are a servant of God and I think the guy was probably a missionary or evangelist. Who knows from maybe way deep into Central Asia, but he had... uh, he had the look of the Lord on his face. And it was a marvelous experience for me to have. Well, we're going to get back into our final session on meditation. We've looked at meditating on our Savior and our salvation in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 12. And then we looked at meditating on, and we're just talking about thinking deeply on dwelling on these things, on our uh, self in light of that salvation. We looked at in Romans chapter six, to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God, to be dead, buried, and raised again with Christ. And then we went to Philippians chapter four and verse eight. and we talked about dwelling on or meditating on spirituality and spiritual growth. What are the things that contribute to our spiritual growth? This morning, we looked in First Timothy chapter four and verse fifteen at meditating on our gift and ministry. And we're now going to turn to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke in Luke chapter 21. And we're going to deal with the idea of when we're not supposed to meditate. Jesus tells us that there's a time that we are not supposed to meditate and He tells us exactly why. So Luke chapter 21, let's just uh, ask God's blessing on this time together and we'll begin. Father in heaven, we are Your children. We are gathered around your table, we are hungry, and we ask that you will break for us the bread of life. We're praying that you will nourish our souls, knowing that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that Jesus pronounced a special blessing on those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so we've gathered ourselves here this morning, setting aside many demands and burdens, distractions and other things so that we could hear what you have to say to us through the spirit open our ears and our eyes and give us the ability to reach out and literally touch the face of our lord jesus christ as the word speaks to us and brings him near we pray in jesus precious name amen jesus tells his disciples here in Luke 21, that there is a time not to meditate. I just want to pick up in verse 10. Well, let me back up to verse 8 so we get the context. This is where the disciples ask Him regarding the temple, when the destruction of the temple would be. And He said in verse 8, Take heed, in other words, be aware, be alert, that you be not deceived, for many will come in My name, saying, I am He, and the time is drawn near." Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. I think we're living in that time. Let's be alert that we are not terrified by the things that are going on on the earth. These things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. The end that he has in mind here is the second coming. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. I personally believe that we're just now entering into this time. We are uh, looking at a world that is different than the world we looked at two years ago. Uh, What was actually accomplished by the tyrannical measures that were taken by all the nations of the world have produced a world that we did not know two and a half, three years ago. Never before in all of history, with the possible exception of the building of the Tower of Babel, has the entire world moved in lockstep together. And this should tell us that we are drawing very, very near to the times that Jesus spoke of here. And of course, the potential for wars, for famines. Uh, We have uh, shipping lanes that have been shut down The uh, shipping, not only on the seas, uh, but on the land through the trucking industry, all of these things have been disrupted for a long time. We haven't yet seen the effects of it, but I can assure you the effects are coming. So as we see these things, I warn you again with the two warnings of Jesus, number one, do not be deceived because it's going to be easy to fall for deception in a time of national and international upheaval. Number two, do not be afraid. You are a child of God. You are under His divine protection. You dwell in the secret place of the Most High. He has His eye on you, and He will care and provide for you. Nothing can stop you from accomplishing His plan if you're willing. Nothing can remove you before His time. You are invincible as an agent of Jesus Christ on this earth. So take that confidence and have that courage as we go into the times ahead. He says in verse 13, it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. If you just look at everything that's going on and saying God is opening the door for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God is providing to you and I the greatest opportunities that we have ever had in our lives to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ see that you have an answer you don't have to have an answer for the particular problem i remember many years ago in fact i think there may be a vehicle out here that has a bumper sticker on it says jesus is the answer many years ago i saw a bumper sticker on a car that went just a little bit further it said jesus is the answer what's your problem and i think that really hits the nail on the head our answer to what's going on in the world is not that we understand everything, or that we have the inside track on everything, but it doesn't matter what the issue is, what is the answer? The answer is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then fitting into His plan and His purpose for your life. So he says, it will turn out to you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. We have looked at four different areas that we're commanded to meditate in the New Testament. This is an area where we're commanded not to meditate. So we're closing on the do not meditate in this particular passage. He explains the reason why in verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict. And then if you just uh, follow on down, I may as well read it, verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers. Anybody had that happen in the last couple of years? It's amazing how many families have gotten divided over issues that should never be a division. Relatives and friends, some of them, some of, uh, they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all for my sake, for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall perish. By your patience, possess your souls." Very important statement there. The word to meditate here is pro-melitao. melatao. Melatao we have seen before in our earlier studies. It's a word that means to consider, to take care of, uh, to uh, take advantage of. The pra, of course, means ahead of time. So don't worry in advance. Don't prepare yourself in advance. The real command comes in to set your mind. Set your mind, or uh, as he says here, settle it in your heart. And the command is an aorist imperative. The aorist tense looks at a point of time and we need to identify the point of time to understand the action of the verb. The point of time is when you're under that persecution. This doesn't apply to us necessarily right now, although I will say persecution is increasing in the United States of America. We are now looking at the potential of being put in prison because we believe what the Bible teaches. We're looking at the possibility of being put in prison because we believe parents and not teachers are the ones who are responsible for the training of their children. We're in a position where you can be blackballed, lose your job, and even prosecuted if you hold to the values that this nation was built on. This is now looked at as a, an extremist position. So little by little, the needle is being moved in the world in which you and I live to where we are the ones who are going to be the target of prosecution. We need to prepare ourselves because it is coming. And if we prepare ourselves, as Jesus says, we'll recognize it for what it is. It is a time for us to rely on the Spirit of God to speak through us apart from any uh, great, communication ability or knowledge on our part we simply rely on the spirit of god to bring the message of the hour a time to keep silent you know ecclesiastes tells us in ecclesiastes 3 7 there's a time to speak and a time to refrain from speaking I like what the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says about this particular passage. It says, Jesus instructed his followers not to waste their time meditating their anticipated defense before their persecutors. Such confrontations are so versatile and unpredictable that undue preoccupation with them only increases one's anxiety and reduces one's effectiveness at the task at hand. To meet such a crisis, Jesus promised special wisdom in speech from the Holy Spirit. Paul warns us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, and I hope that this includes you, that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will escape from persecution. Remember that passage? Now you have a different translation. We keep having translation problems. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you have been devoted to the Word of God, to the plan and purpose of God for your life, you have to some degree already experienced. I'll never forget when I first came to Christ at the age of 15, persecution came from my brothers. You know, I was the wild child. I was the black sheep of the family. I was the one that everybody voted least likely to ever amount to anything. And when I suddenly became a new person in Christ and I started going to Bible class and I started learning the Word of God and I started witnessing, my brothers didn't like it. They hated me before. Now they really hated me because now it was bringing conviction on them, and that persecution began. And sometimes it's just in subtle little ways of people snickering behind your back, people laughing at you, people making fun of you, Uh, and it can go all the way up to real opposition and uh, physical abuse or whatever else may come. Sometimes it happens with children from their parents because their parents hate the fact that their child has now uh, back while I was pastoring in Conway, we had a huge youth group, primarily young college students. We had one hundred and five or more young people coming to our church every Monday night for a youth meeting, youth Bible study and It was very interesting because a lot of these kids had been involved in drugs, a lot of them had uh, been failing in uh, college they 'd been uh, you know out there running and gunning the wildlife, and their parents care less didn't care where they were friday night never asked when they came in where have you been what have you been doing are you on drugs whatever they didn't care when they got focused and committed and dedicated to coming and learning the word of god all of a sudden the parents are screaming they're in a cult they're in a cult very strange but it's that reaction of the world of persecution against those who begin to grow in grace We have an example that I want to give you, uh, share with you, if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 12, of how to fulfill what Jesus is talking about here. And it comes from one of his top students. We almost have to chuckle when we say that. The life of Peter, the apostle. In Acts chapter 12, it says that it came about at that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. James and John, you remember, were called the sons of thunder. Because he saw that it pleased the Jews, and the use of the word Jews here is primarily referring to the religious leaders. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. It was during the days of unleavened bread. I have to ask myself what went through the mind of Peter When he is arrested, he knows James has already been killed. Now he's in prison, and it just so happens that it's during Passover when his Lord was crucified. You remember in that meeting up there in Galilee as Jesus restored Peter to his role in ministry, he had told him, when you were younger, you girded yourself and went where you wanted to go. When you're older, someone is going to take you where you would not go, and they're going to gird you as well. Tradition tells us that Peter died crucified and he died crucified upside down at his own request because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. So Peter knows this. He's been told this. And here he is sitting in prison. I wonder the thoughts going through his mind. He must have really been nervous. Verse 4 says, When he had arrested him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers. And this is a dangerous criminal here. We've got to keep this guy under wraps, right? Four squads of soldiers to keep him. At least, this would have been at least 16 Roman soldiers. Intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. As you would expect and as it should be. When Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door. So in the inner prison, you got two soldiers that are chained to him, two soldiers guarding the door. The others are guarding outside the door to guard the door that goes out in the street because after all, you know, Peter's a dangerous criminal. And what is Peter doing? It says, uh, as I read the expanded version here, That night, Peter was tossing and turning, questioning in his mind, why would God let this happen to me? Oh, thats I'm sorry, that's the wrong version again. What was Peter doing? If you were put in prison tonight, and they took your pastor wherever you come from, and they killed him and found out that that pleased the population, and so they come and get you, and they throw you in prison, what are you going to be doing? Probably not sleeping. Peter is sound asleep. How could you sleep at a moment like this? It's called the faith rest life, it's called the ability to trust the promises of God. It is an understanding that God has a plan for my life. I am a member of the body of Christ. He has a purpose for me that is going to go until that purpose is finished. Nothing that heaven or hell, Satan or anyone on this earth is going to do will stop me until... I have fulfilled that purpose. I am invincible as a child of God and a warrior of the cross. If we ever get that mentality, there will be no stopping us and we won't have to play videos about until the whole world hears because the whole world is going to hear. The problem is we don't have that mentality. We are worried about our own skin. We're worried about our own home. We're worried about what we might lose, what it might cost us. And that's why the early church turned the world upside down because they could care less. They were willing to let it all go. If I could encourage you to do something, I would encourage each and every one of you to find a place where you can sit alone with the Lord, with His Word, and bring yourself to the point where you can honestly say, These words, I want to fulfill your plan, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And you know what? Once you've made that commitment, you have nothing to fear. You have already surrendered everything. It's in His hands. Take from me what you want to take. Live before God with open hands and say, put into my hands what you want me to have. Take from me whatever you want to take away. I am here for your purpose and your purpose alone. You'll find that your life will become very, very exciting and very, very fulfilling as you continue to fulfill God's plan for your life. Peter's asleep. Now notice verse 7. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but when I'm sleeping, if someone comes and stands near me, I generally wake up. Uh, Some people are real deep sleepers. Some people are not easily roused. I remember one kid that, uh, I don't know how many of you know this, my folks used to take in kids from broken homes and kids that were in trouble with the law, in addition to the ten kids in our own family. We sometimes had 10 or 15 other kids living with us. And uh, my dad made sure we all had lots of work to do. So we woke up early in the morning. And there was a kid named Ken that came to live with us, and he was used to sleeping in. So when my dad would yell up the stairwell, you boys get up, it's time for chores. We're all up and dressed, and, and he always wanted us up and dressed and ready to go in three minutes. That was his standard. We had three minutes to get dressed. We had three minutes to eat. People often wonder when we sit down and eat, I'll be done with my meal when they're just getting done putting salt and pepper, ketchup or whatever, and I'm done. (laughs) How come you eat so fast? I had three minutes. Well, Ken didn't wake up when we tried to rouse him and shake him. And I went down and I said to my dad, Ken won't wake up. He said, you go wake him up and get him down here. So, I thought this would be a good opportunity to try something. I always wanted to try. I stuck a match between two of his toes and lit it. (laughs) And I watched the match slowly burn its way up toward the toes. Ken woke up. And Ken was never a problem to wake up again. Amazing how that works. When this mighty messenger from heaven comes and stands... By Peter, he's still asleep. And I want you to notice that when the angel came into the prison and stood by him, a light shone in the prison. This place is dark. You know, probably all the uh, lanterns or candles or whatever they had are out. This is a dark place. And now it is completely illuminated by the presence of this angel. Once again, when you sleep, if someone comes in the room and flips on the light, does it wake you up? It does me. I can tell the light's on. What's going on? Time to wake up. I would suggest that the light of this angel was probably brighter than any lantern or lamp or house light that you've ever had in your room. Still Peter's sleeping. The angel then struck Peter on the side. I assume he used his foot or his staff. It doesn't tell us. There Peter lies, and here is the angel. Wake up. Finally, Peter wakes up. He struck Peter on the side, and then reaches down and raises him up, saying, Rise quickly. (laughs) Peter wasn't doing that at the beginning. And it says that the chains fell off of his hands, and the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. There is a lesson in this verse that I hope every one of us get. This angel is going to perform some amazing miracles. Right here, the shackles fall off of Peter's hands. Pretty soon, we're going to see that he goes out and the gates to the prison, the the barred gates, they're all going to open. But there are three commands the angel gives to Peter. Gird yourself tie on your sandals, put on your garment. You know what the lesson is? Very practical. God is not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. God does the impossible. He does the things we can't do. Many times we fall short of accomplishing what he wants us to accomplish because of our own laziness or our own lack of discipline or our own lack of diligence to do for ourselves what we can do. Tie your sandals on, put your robe on, get up, the angel says, and follow me. And so Peter does. Verse 9, he went out and followed him and did not know That what was done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Can I throw in another suggestion here? When we pray for God to do something and He doesn't do it, it's because doing it was the wrong thing to do. Oh God, my father, my mother, my cousin, somebody has cancer, please heal them. I've seen people healed. And it's wonderful when that happens. When it doesn't happen, it's because for it to happen would disrupt the perfect plan of God. We don't understand it all now. We're not supposed to understand it all now. If we understood it all, where would be the need for faith? You see, faith is the ability to trust God when we don't understand why He's doing what He's doing. Yes, we pray for healing. We know that God has the power. We trust that He will do what is best. When He chooses to take that loved one home, it's because that was the best thing that God could do. And one day in eternity, we're going to understand that our prayers were answered, just not according to the way that we wanted them to be answered. It's hard for us. It's painful for us. I understand. You know, we have all lost loved ones. Uh, We have all probably seen young ones taken early in their life. We fail to remember that Isaiah the prophet tells us when you see a young person die, you should consider the fact that God knows what he's doing and he took that person home to deliver them from things that would have come. He knows what he's doing and we have to trust him in that. And so the gate opens, and Peter walks through, and they went out and down the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. I wonder how many of you have had encounters with angels. I would suggest that you probably have. It probably was not recognized. Sometimes it's so dramatic that it is recognized. My cousin Ken Buck, who has had a phenomenal ministry for the last 30 years in India, uh, ministering by building churches for village believers that had no place to meet and supporting uh, pastors and so on and so forth. He is right now, as we speak, dying of cancer. As a matter of fact, I'll be going to see him this afternoon after we leave here. And it could be the last time that I ever seen. And Ken and I have supported each other, gone to battle with each other, and prayed for each other, and just done so many things. But Ken was on his way to India one time, and there was a snowstorm. It's in the wintertime, California. He flies in to where he's supposed to take off to go to India, and all the flights are backed up. Doesn't look like there's any chance that he's going to be able to make his appointment to India, except that God had a purpose for him in India. And so Ken walks into the airport. The line uh, going up to the counter is uh, as long as you can imagine. Everybody trying to find a new flight. He's standing in line thinking, I must not be going to India this time around. Out of the blue, a lady comes through a door at the back, walks up to him and says, are you Ken Buck? And he said, yes, I am. And she said, you're going to India, aren't you? He said, yes, I am. She said, please come with me. She walks him through the door and tells him, this flight is not taking off. There's no way you're going to get there on this flight, but I can get you connected to San Diego so that you connect to another flight this evening that will get you to India. And she runs him off a ticket, sends him on his way, and he's going, who was that lady? And how did she know who I am? We had the same thing happen to us one time in India. We were in India and we needed to get to the remote area that we were going to with a pastor by the name of Abraham. And we went down to the train station and they said, I'm sorry, all the seats on the train are booked. You'll have to come back and go tomorrow. And we, I, I said, let's go get something to eat or I think maybe we went to change some, uh, exchange some money. And we're walking along and we're talking. And I'm saying, Ken, I think we need to be there today. We can't afford to waste 24 hours and go tomorrow. We need to go today. And someone walks up and says, if you'll go around the corner and talk to the other counter, they can get you on uh, the train because they always reserve a certain number of seats for tourists. And uh, so we exchanged our money. We went. Went around the corner, didn't know that counter was there. Can you get us on the train? They said, yes, we just happened to have a couple of seats left. We got on the train, we went on our mission, we were there for about a week and didn't even realize that the train the next night was blown off the tracks by terrorists and a hundred people died. That was the train we would have been on. Angels intervene in our lives all the time. We're simply... Uh, too often unaware and sometimes I'm sure we're not supposed to know as Peter goes out he goes to the prayer meeting he comes to himself in verse 11 I know for certain the Lord has sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people when he had considered this he came to the house of Mary the mother of Mark this is probably where they had the upper room meeting whose surname was Mark Many were gathered together praying. Peter knocked at the door of the gate. A girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. You know, Peter's free. Leave him outside in the cold. <laughs> she went in and announced in verse 15, they said to her, you're beside yourself. She kept insisting that it was so. And they said, no, it's his angel. Some, by the way, in ancient times believe that your guardian angel looks like you. Poor guy. (laughs) Peter continues knocking in verse 16. When they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Isn't it wonderful? We pray for things to happen, and when they happen, we don't believe that it happened. We are funny, funny creatures. But thank God he loves us the way we are. Thank God he still works with us the way that we are. I'm sure there must be many chuckles in heaven sometimes. Motioning them with his hands to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go and tell these things to James. This is not the James that got killed earlier. This is James, the brother of the half brother of the Lord, who is the leader of the Jerusalem church. Tell James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. As soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what had become of Peter. Can you imagine? You are a Roman soldier, highly trained, probably the veteran of many military engagements. You have one mission, secure this prisoner. You are chained to him, not too hard to figure out what's going on. When he's sleeping, one's sleeping on one side, the other sleeping on the other side. And all of a sudden you wake up and he's gone. You're thinking Houdini, right? They had to answer for their actions. When Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards. By the way, examining means scourging. When you want to get an answer out of somebody, you tie them to a post and begin to whip them with a cat of nine tails. And they keep saying, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Finally, he commanded that they should be put to death. Do you understand why the guard in Acts 16, when he thought Paul and Silas and the others had escaped, was preparing to fall on his sword because he knew falling on my sword would be a quick death? And if I don't kill myself here, I'm going to go through this process of the scourging before the execution. If I had time, I could tell you of so many things that have happened as we've traveled around the world and we've seen humble, simple people, no different than you and I, but people who had a mission, a purpose, and that was to share the word of God, to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ, to teach people in remote areas. I've used this story many times. Some of you have probably heard it. I'm going to tell it again. I was in Nigeria and I heard about a guy who had recently come to Christ and led his family to Christ and they wanted to take me to them and we drove out into this remote area, uh, just arid and just sandblasted is the best way I can describe. Nothing was growing, just, just dry, dead trees, dead, dead plants, dead crops. We went out into this area and we came to a little hut that was nothing more than a thatched roof on poles as we pulled up in the yard we saw one little boy dragging a big heavy uh, limb from a tree for firewood saw a couple of other kids one had a little gourd that they had carried from a spring and was pouring water on these little stalks of corn that were just sandblasted and dried up about this tall trying to keep these these uh, stalks of corn alive until they could get something from it for the family to eat the mother was in the little hut and had her two or three pots and pans their total uh, possessions that they had trying to prepare some, some food for this poor little family so we got out and the African pastor that had taken us there begins talking to the lady and he said I'm sorry her husband is not here we said well where is he And as she spoke to him, the story unfolded. He had gone to an evangelistic meeting, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, joyously received eternal life by simple faith, went home to his family so excited, couldn't wait to tell them that they could actually have eternal life. They all, mother and children, all of them, received the Lord, rejoiced in the Lord, were singing, were happy, were were just so overwhelmed with the marvelous, wonderful grace of God. And then as the days went by, and they would begin and in their days singing and and rejoicing that they had found eternal life, as the days went by, he began to become withdrawn and quiet and depressed. And his wife said to him, "'Husband, what's wrong? "'You brought us this wonderful news.'" We know we have eternal life. God is watching over us. He'll provide for our needs. Why are you so discouraged? And he pointed to the mountains to the north and he said there are people over those mountains who have never heard. If I don't go tell them, how will they ever hear? How will they ever lay hold of the wonderful gift that we have laid hold of? And they prayed together And then she decided, you have to go. So now the main breadwinner of this family that are on the verge of, and I'm literally telling you, on the verge of starvation. The main breadwinner, main worker, leaves that home to go over the mountains. It had been months since he had been gone. She had no word from him, had no idea what was going on. And you know what she left us with? Before we drove away, she said, isn't it wonderful that God chose my husband to carry the message to those people? You know, it put me to shame. Because, like probably many of you, I am so easily distracted and so easily preoccupied with things that don't matter. What matters is eternity eternity is the issue that should burn in each and every one of our hearts and i pray that as you wake up as you go to sleep it will be pounding in your ears and in your soul eternity you know if you're a believer you know where you'll spend eternity if you're here this morning without christ you must answer the question where will you spend eternity And once that question is answered, as you receive the gift of salvation through faith in Christ, you now have another question beating on your soul, and that is, where will my husband, my wife, my father, mother, my children, where will my friends spend eternity? Eternity is forever. And we stand every day of our life on the brink of eternity. Am I bringing someone else? That should be the question. Am I bringing as many as I can? Let's pray. Thank you for your attention. Thank you to Jared and the whole church for your wonderful hospitality to us. Uh, We have been so blessed just rubbing shoulders with you, spending time with you. I wish we could get to know all of you a little bit better, but uh, maybe that'll come another time. Thank you, Father, for your love and grace. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge. Help us, Father, to let that word be engraved by the finger of God, the Holy Spirit, on our soul, eternity. Let us never live a day thinking only of time. Help us be eternally minded, not just for ourselves, but those around us. To the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you again.